He said, come to me, all of you who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's something about sensing the presence of the Lord that can evoke a real sense of rest in our hearts. And for us to know as the Lord's people that we have permission to rest in the sense of his presence. I just felt like while we were singing that song just then, that there may have been some of you who hadn't gotten any rest all week long. <laughs> even with a, even trying to go to sleep at night, you woke up tired. But in the sense of his presence, when Jesus is in the house, as we say, anything can happen and he can, he can give rest to his people. That you got permission to lay your burden down. You got permission to lay the questions down. You got permission to lay what's next down and just rest in his presence. Amen. You know, amen. I want you to take your Bible. And find in your Bible the Gospel of John, chapter 5. Now, if you need to look on with somebody, that, that's okay. But I really want to encourage you to have your own copy of the Scripture. And um, it may be digital or it may be leather-bound, but, it, but it, you need your own copy of the Scripture. And um, carry it with you when you go places. In the Gospel of John, there are only, the experts say, seven listed miracles of Jesus. We know that he did many more than just seven, but John's purpose in writing his Gospel, his story of Jesus, was to teach some things about the life of Jesus, to establish certain principles um, that Jesus came to make clear and to make known. And he would use the miracles, the seven that he selected, for the purpose of identifying some things about Jesus that those of us who would read the Gospel of John centuries later would be able to clearly get. So with that in mind, I, I want you to let me read one of the miracles, one of the accounts of a miracle of Jesus, starting in John chapter 5 and verse 1. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called Bethesda, having five porticos or porches. In these porches, in these lay a multitude of those who were sick. There were so many of them that it was lumped in that one summary term, a multitude. There were too many to keep count of or there were just too many to count. A multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters, for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. And a certain man was there who had been 38 years in his sickness. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, Another steps down before me. 
Jesus said to him, Arise, take up your pallet, and walk. And immediately the man became well and took up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day. Therefore the Jews, the leaders of the Jews, the religious police, were saying to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It's not permissible for you to carry your pallet. Sabbath was to be a day of rest, and so they they pressed it to say, you're not supposed to carry anything on the Sabbath day. But he answered them, he who made me well was the one who said to me, take up your pallet and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your pallet and walk? But he who was healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. You have been made well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse may befall you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. These words again from Jesus in verse 14, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore, so that nothing worse may befall you. Would you make a note of this somewhere so that you'll be able to remember it? May the Lord write this across the tablet of our hearts so that we'll remember it. There is only one thing powerful enough to overturn the law of the harvest, and that one thing is the love of God. Here is a man living out the circumstances, the consequences of the law of the harvest. Look at what Jesus says. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse may befall you. There was a cause for his sickness and an effect. The cause was a sin that he committed or a lifestyle of sin that he lived in, and the effect was weakness, sickness of some kind. You go back to the verse 3 earlier in the chapter. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick. The word translated into English, sick, is a word that literally means without power, a loss of power. It it may be someone who has lost power financially and they are called poor, but there can be a sickness as it relates to financial means or wealth, and that would be poverty. It can be someone destitute of authority, loss of authority, a weakness of authority. The word also fits there, sickness or weakness or a loss of power. The result of this man's harvest was a sickness. Now we got there from um, Galatians chapter 5 or Galatians chapter 6 last week where these words are found. Paul writes, Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, whatever a person sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not lose heart 
in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. There's a good side to the law of the harvest, and then there's a tough side to the law of the harvest. You sow good seed, and you reap a good harvest. You sow bad seed, and you reap a bad harvest. There was a time when Shirley and I were having a little bit of difficulty in understanding each other, her having to put up with me mainly, mainly her having to put up with me. Ladies, you can all say amen, preacher. It's true of my husband too. Don't say that out loud. But, but, but what happened was I, I came to be convinced. I looked, came across this verse and, and it just began to work on me. This thing about sowing and reaping and sowing and reaping even in marriages, sowing and reaping in relationships, but specifically in our relationship. And I just started asking the Lord about that. Lord, is, is the reason that there is difficulty in our relationship and me not being able to say what I need to say, but, but her not being able to respond the way I would like for her to respond and so forth, is, is, does that have something to do with some kind of seeds I'm sowing in my marriage. Well, I got to looking a little deeper. That's, that's the problem with having some seminary training and Bible study training and the meaning of the in-depth meaning and all that stuff with, from the original languages. So I got to looking at this in the original language and where he says in verse 8, for the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. Flesh is that old you that didn't go away even though you receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord. That part of you and me that still can gravitate towards selfishness, that still can gravitate toward an offend, carrying an offense, a refusal to forgive, uh, um, that, that part of us that just wants to look down through that narrow little straw that evaluates everything in the light of whether I'm getting something out of this or not that I like. You sow to the flesh, and Paul says, here's what you're going to get back from the flesh, corruption. Well, what in the world's corruption mean? Well, there are three synonyms for the word corruption that you could insert in place of that specific particular word. One of the words is decay. You'll reap decay. Now, that doesn't mean all of a sudden it blows up and it's gone. All of a sudden it's shot dead in front of you. It just means that, it, that it, it, just, it just starts rotting. It just starts rotting. And if something's rotting, it's probably going to have an odor to it. And it's going to be by degrees that it dies. Decay and ruin. You sow to the flesh, you can reap something that's decaying. You, you, you sow to yourself and you reap something. The other word was, was ruin. It, it's it's, it's ruined. It's, it's not ever going to bring give back something that, that you would be proud of or that would, have, that would have the finish that you would want. It's ruined. And then the last word, probably the most frightening of the words, is destruction. You reap destruction. And I got to tell you, you know, I was, the, I was your pastor at this time when the Lord was working on my heart. That, that there's, if, if, I, if I don't watch how I sow what I sow into my wife's life, if I'm sowing selfishness into her out of my selfishness, then the scripture just, the law of God is not going to be mocked. You're going to get back what you sow. And if, 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 if I'm sowing to my flesh, it's decay, ruin, and destruction. And, you know, not that from that point in time I have become the poster child for husbands, you know, of the world. I, it, it isn't that. But I can just tell you, there has come to be a real sense of check in my heart. I got to, I need to watch how I react. I need to watch how I advise. I need to, I need to watch what I don't say as well as what I do say as it relates to my relationship with the dearest human on the face of the earth to me, and that would be, that would be my Shirley. The law of the harvest can work in a negative way, but the law of the harvest can work in a powerfully positive way as well. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, so if it's, if it's sowing to the flesh, you reap 
what you don't want to reap. If it's sowing to the Spirit, we're, we're seeking to, to follow the prompting of the Spirit, to sow into the lives of people, to, to sow even into the way I would respond or what I would pursue, the things that would honor the Lord, then what I'm going to get back in time. It may not be a total reversal by daylight tomorrow. It may not be, it won't be that everything that we're sowing is going to come back in six months. But as, as our lives progress, if we're continuing the process of sowing what's right in the sight of God, what honors him, what he says is, is blessing to sow and that which honors the spirit, then in time there's going to be a harvest that's right, a harvest that fits, a harvest that's good in time. Amen? But so it's a choice that we have to make as to which kind of seeds we're going to sow. Just as a quick aside, if, if you want the Lord to be blessing you with, with, with a harvest materially, a harvest financially, a, a harvest of, of substance, then for goodness sake, sow the seeds of honoring him that are the first of that which he blesses you with and not just trying to give him scraps or just, well, when I think about it, I write a check. But it's out of the first. I sow the seeds that honor him and he in time, he's promised, I've test me now in this and see if I'll not open the windows of heaven. So where is it that you need most to be blessed? Where is it that you want most to see the right kind of harvest? Then check the seed planting. Check the seed planting. All right. Well, let, let's, leave, let's leave six and Galatians 6 and come back to John chapter 5. It's the example of a man having to live with the circumstances of his harvest. Jesus just makes that very clear when he says, don't sin anymore so that nothing worse shall befall you. In other words, what got you to this place, this 38-year trap, being stuck for 38 years in a place you don't enjoy and won't want to be, the what got you there was sin. The law of the harvest, even though the mercy of God operates, the law of the harvest still operates. The mercy of God can intervene and can supersede the law of the harvest, but the law of the harvest still operates. And so Jesus is saying, don't keep doing what you did before. Stop what you were doing before so that nothing worse may befall you, okay? But now go with me back to the first part of this. I, I, I just I pray that the Lord by his spirit will open up the heart of Jesus more for us today, more of Jesus to be able to see and to sense and to feel. He, he's on the trail of a man. Jesus is going to find a man. Now, the man is in a sea of people. The man is in the middle of a multitude. But Jesus is on this, Jesus on this day is not going after the multitude. He's going after one man. And he's not going after the easiest case. He's not going after one who's been in that mess for the shortest period of time. This could be the toughest nut to crack in the whole place. And Jesus was on him. Jesus was after him. There's got to say, there's somebody, and I don't know where you are or who you are, listening to this this morning, and you just need to know that the living Lord Jesus Christ, just as he was on the trail of this man, the living, loving Lord Jesus Christ is on your trail too today. And what he, what he looks for, he finds. Now there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda. Now that's interesting. House of hunting, house of fishing is how that could be translated. So here's this multitude of people in these porches in this place called Bethesda, and they're there because they're hunting for something. They're there because they're fishing for something. They're there because they're hunting for their healing. They're fishing for their life back again, if you will. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick. I mentioned to you that that, that word sick means powerless. We, we take it to mean physical loss of strength. But it could also be any other kind of loss of strength that, that would be financially or in a place of position or in a relationship with, with family and friends. A loss of power. 
blind, lame, withered, waiting for the moving of the water when the angel would come. And I love this adjective that describes this man in verse 5. A certain man, a certain man, a certain man was there who had been 38 years in his sickness. Now, the scripture doesn't specifically say that he had been at Bethesda for all of those 38 years. He may have been carried there as his situation seemed to be unchanged. But regardless of how long he'd been there, he had been in that condition of powerlessness as a result of something that he had done, a choice that he had made that was missing the mark of God 38 years before. The law of the harvest, you sow and you reap. He had sown and now He's reaping, 38 years. Look at verse 6. When Jesus saw him. Now, now let's we'll just, we'll just stop. This is a Sabbath day, all right? This is Sabbath. This, is, this was their Sunday. This was the holy day. This was the day to, that, that you went to the house of worship. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus would say, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. When God in the flesh, in the city of the great king in Jerusalem, has places that he could be on the Lord's day, where does he go? What kind of religious exercise does he involve himself in? Now, there would be other times he would be, would grew up in the synagogue in Nazareth. There are many days that he would speak teaching in the courts of the temple. But on this day, on this day, when he could have been in a nice, clean atmosphere of church-going people, he decides to be somewhere else. Folks, John has this here because he wants us to understand the loving heart of the true and living God, that he doesn't just care about church-going people. He doesn't just care about folks who can quote the Psalms or sing the hymns or go backwards from Revelation to the table of contents. He, he, he cares about people. He cares about people. He cares about people. He cares about people. Let me tell you about these people. They were stinky people. They were dirty people. They were helpless people. And there were a jillion of them. The crowd didn't keep him away. The stench didn't keep him away. Listen, they, in those days, there was no Social Security. In those days, there was no Medicare, no Medicaid. Pe people would just go to places and congregate, and the pitiful would congregate just as the wealthy would congregate. This was a sea of pitiful situations and broken people. Some of them not even able to clean up themselves or feed themselves. But there they were. And there was Jesus. There was Jesus. There was no advanced group. Okay, Jesus of Nazareth who's healed all these people everywhere else is coming to your place. Now get ready. He goes by himself, evidently. He, he was amazingly normal looking. Maybe, maybe a little too normal, maybe so, just so ordinary that people would say, we, we, we added him up, we estimated him, and we gave him a big zero because there was, there was nothing about him that would draw us to him. That was Isaiah prophesying the coming of this Jesus. Instead of being necessarily some striking figure that would command attention just by his appearance, it may very well have been that Jesus was one of those who looked like the least of these, perhaps. So he, he walks in. He's, he's God. He's, he's God with skin on, God in a human body. He's, the, he's, the, he's God in a physical form, in a, in a human body. And he, and he walks into this place, and he walks through this place, and he is on a mission. 
Jesus would say, I can't do anything except I see my Father in heaven do it. Somewhere before Jesus ever took those steps on that Sabbath day into the Bethesda area, he had seen his Father's heart for this man. He knew that it was, it was the working within the compassion of God himself. That 38 years, time's up. That's been long enough. And so he was sent on mission by his father to find this certain man. Certain man. Now, let me tell you something else. On this day, it, it, it's, it's different. It seems as if most of the time when Jesus showed up and there were sick people, bound up people, broken people, demon-possessed people, that he would, just, he would just heal them all. He'd stay up all night and lay his hands on everybody who was in need and physically in need at Simon Peter's house. But on this day, on this day, folks, listen, it wasn't the masses that he was going for. It was one man. And what kind of man was he? He was a loser, in a sense. He had nothing to offer Jesus. But there goes Jesus, maybe stepping over ones who couldn't move to get out of the way. There, there were no aisles. There were no beds. There were no nurse restrooms. There was no nursing attendance. Stepping over. Walking around, God, almighty God in the flesh, on the hunt for one man. So he walks around and over, and that's where we see, we find it saying, when Jesus saw him lying there, when Jesus saw him, it's going to go on to say, and he knew that he had already been a long time in that condition. There's a difference between seeing and knowing. You can see something and not know anything about it. But it's a double miracle here. The fact that he was physically present and he was literally seeing. The eyes of God fixed upon this broken man. Oh, I want to tell you, John has this written out for us so that we'll get it today, that just as Jesus went on the hunt for some broken man in those days, Jesus still goes on the hunt for broken people in our day. Just as he saw that man, he sees you. He sees you. But listen, how does he see this man? Does he see this man in order to judge him? Does he see this man in order to lecture him? Does he see this man in order to just say, well, I feel sorry for you? He sees him with the heart of compassion. He sees him with the heart of God's love, the heart of mercy. So it says that he, he sees the man lying there, but then it also says that he knew Jesus knew. How did Jesus know? Because he's God. How, how did he know that the man had been there for those 38 years? He knew because he's God. And he knew so that he could express the compassion and the power that was in his heart to express. Not only does the Lord see you today, but the Lord knows what you're going through. Now, not just what you're going through, but this is a man who had been through. He'd been to hell and back in this life. Why didn't Jesus come sooner? Well, Jesus hadn't been born of the Virgin Mary until just a short time before that. That his, 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 his walk, his ministry, his, 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 his life to touch people was a brief period of time but it was in that moment in time that it was appointed that this man should be met with the mercy of God instead of just having to live out his days with the law of the harvest taking its toll. 
Jesus knew that he'd been there a long time. And Jesus then says to him, do, do you want to get well? Do you wish to get well? Now you read that at first glance and you think, oh, that, that, just, that seems like an unnecessary question. Of course that man, you would think, after 38 years flat of his back or whatever condition he was in, that he couldn't move, he was immobile, that certainly he would want to get well. Oh, I, I tell you, I just when, when this drops 18 inches, here's what he's saying. Jesus is addressing the most precious question in the soul of that man. Do you want to have your life back? Do you want your life back? Do you want your life back? He, he could have come and said, would, would you, can I get you something to drink? Do you need something to eat? Would you like me to fluff up your mattress or to add another layer to your pallet? Would you like for me to move you a little closer to the water? He didn't ask any of that. He looked into the soul of that broken man's heart. And he asked the most precious question, I believe, that incubated for all of those years, how long am I going to have to be like this? When will it ever end? Won't somebody please help me? Jesus saying, do you wish to get well? The word well means whole, whole, whole. The stuff that has been has disintegrated, the stuff that has been stolen, the things that are broken, it's restored. Do you want to be whole again? He doesn't know that this is Jesus. He doesn't know that Jesus is fixing to do what he's fixing to do. And it's amazing that Jesus in the place of his love for people. He doesn't come with a lecture in his heart. He doesn't come with beginning by saying, now the reason you're in this mess is because of what you did 38 years ago. Jesus doesn't start there. Jesus just starts at the place that every person who's been in a mess for a long time and, and perhaps realized, or maybe you didn't realize that it was caused by our own foolishness, our own wrong choices, the ache in our heart, I'd just like to have my life back. And you could paraphrase this question in that way. To be whole means to be restored. Do you want your life back? And, and he responds out of the reasoning, out of what made sense to him. I have no man, verse 7, I have, I have no man to put me into the pool. When the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Can I give you, can I give you four things that sin will steal from you? Four things that the law of the harvest, the kind of harvest that we don't want. We've, we've sown the wrong seed, but here comes the harvest. Number one, the law of the harvest steals your power. Steals your power. He was, he was left weak. He was left weak. We said, but, but, but I, know, I know people who are sowing bad seed, and they, they've got all their physical health. It's not just talking about physical weakness. In the place where there would be the desire for greater strength, sin, the wrong harvest, has a way over time at eating away at your strength. There may be $5 million in, a, in the bank somewhere, or you may be able to pick up the back end of a Volkswagen and put it over your head, but there's still something that is depleted over time. Weakness comes when sin is so. Second thing, another thing, people. He lost his people. Well, he's in the middle of people. But none of them were his people. The law of the harvest, 
the wrong kind of harvest, the, 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 the bad seeds, bad harvest, it can strip you of your people, the ones who ought to be there, the ones you would wish the most would be there. I have no man to put me in the water when the angel stirs the water. It's a loss of power. It's a loss of people. It's a loss of possessions. He very likely didn't have anything more than just a mat that he was lying on. That was it. Possessions, things that, that would be significant, would make a life important. I, I, I understand that there can be very wealthy people sowing all kinds of wrong seeds, but you, you, you kick that, that possessions into another dimension other than just what can be seen on a bank statement. The sin has a way, that harvest has a way of eating away at the possessions that are the most valuable to the soul of a person. And then, of course, position. He lost to whatever position he had as a man, as a leader, because he, because he couldn't function anymore. He, 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 had, he had lost his ability to do life in a normal way, in a productive way. While I'm speaking another steps down before me. He was helpless. He was alone. He was poor. The law of the harvest, the law of the harvest, the law of the harvest. But then here comes, here comes the only one strong enough to overturn the law of the harvest in a life. Jesus says to him in verse 8, Arise, take up your pallet, take up your mattress, and walk. Now I want to say it again, because sometimes we who have grown up in the church or been a Christian or been in the church for a long time, we, we, we have a real problem with the real essence of many of the miracles of Jesus. Because... We've got a formula to get your miracle. You've you, you got to repent of your sins. You've got to confess Jesus. You've got to be baptized. You've got to be in the church. You need to memorize verses on faith, and then maybe God will reward you with a healing. Find that. Find that in this story. The man didn't even know who Jesus was. The man hadn't repented of nothing, of anything. The man hadn't been in a church building or a synagogue more than likely for the 38 years. And here comes the Holy One of Israel. Here comes the God of all creation and human flesh who, who wrote the entire set of laws and the one who implemented the law of the harvest. And he looks into the face of that man who hadn't repented who didn't even know who he was, and out of the mouth of Jesus flows, gushes, nothing other than the love of God for this unrepentant man, the mercy of God for this broken man who couldn't change anything about himself. He didn't ask him to do anything except something he hadn't been able to do in 38 years. Get up. Get up. Pick up your pallet and walk. Well, the next verse says, immediately, verse 9, the man became well and took up his pallet and began to walk. Listen, Jesus wasn't invited. This man wasn't looking for Jesus. Oh, we need to shout this. Jesus came looking for this man. The man wasn't looking for him. Jesus was looking for him. Listen, it doesn't matter how sorry old so-and-so is. It doesn't matter how rotten and bankrupt a person may be. When Jesus begins to move toward a person, when Jesus set, has his heart set on a man, set on a woman, set on a teenager, set on somebody who's up in years, he will meet, he will find, 
And, and, and he won't be going to that, he won't be meeting that person for the purpose of giving them a lecture on biblical right and wrong necessarily. What did Paul say? It's the goodness and the kindness of God that leads a man to repentance. The Lord wins a heart when that heart has been broken. It's not so much that the heart needs more information as that the life needs transformation. Jesus specializes in changing and fixing and making new. Even, even when the man wasn't looking for it, though he was aching in his heart that one day he would have his life back, Jesus found him. Just like the Lord this morning is finding some folks who are listening to this. When Jesus made his presence known and the power flowing from his presence into this man changed everything. The man was changed from the inside out. Folks, the reason that some folks are as far away as they may be today, they hadn't connected the dots that that sin, sowing a life of sin results in a bad harvest. They hadn't even connected that that had anything to do with this. But the fact that that's a reality doesn't in any way shut down or stymie the love of God for that soul, for that life. And what I believe is that, 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 that many times, the reason, folks, there's been no change, there, there's been no change of heart, there's been no turning to the Lord, is because they've never really sensed the presence of the real Jesus. They may have heard some things about him. Uh, they may have seen some architecture that identified him or some art that seemed to picture him. But the sense of his presence, the sense of his presence. You say, but, but Jesus is only going to inhabit the praises of his people. Jesus is only going to be where everybody's welcoming him. Fair, try to fit that into this passage. He showed up uninvited, but he showed up because of his love for a man. And a man who didn't know him. And a man who hadn't repented. And a man who didn't know the Bible. And a man who had sown wrong seeds that had resulted in this kind of harvest. I believe I could ask in this group today, how many of you seem to find some kind of resemblance between your former life and this fellow's life? Maybe not 38 years, but, but you weren't looking for the Lord when the Lord found you. It was the sense of his presence some way, somehow, that you began to really believe that, 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 that there is a God in heaven and he loves me. And you responded to that. Folks, we give up on people too quick. We forget where we were when the Lord came after us. It really is true. We don't find the Lord. The Lord finds us. How are you going to find somebody you can't see in the first place? How are you going to get somebody to talk to you who doesn't have to say a word in the first place? It's because of his love and his heart for you that he'll pursue. And there comes a point in time in what, whatever way it would be, it, it, made, it, it, it made sense for this fellow that the physical restoration would occur. And then he would understand a power greater than any power he had ever known. But it can be other things. It can be that the Lord just causes a person to know your life isn't over with. Everybody hasn't rejected you. Everybody hasn't turned away from you. I'm standing here. And I know you. I see you. And I know what you've been through. And I love you. I care about you. You matter to me. You see, 
somebody can say that, but until the person you're trying to get to understand that feels it, senses it, it's almost as if we've wasted our word. Folks, listen. This is why the Holy Spirit has come. He, Jesus said, will convict the world, convince the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. He will do the work. Our job is to lift up the name of Jesus when we have opportunity to and when that's our assignment in the, in the flow of a relationship. But it is, the, it is the presence of the Holy Spirit who makes real the sense of the presence of Jesus before a life. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have been made well. You have become well. Don't sin anymore so that nothing worse may befall you. You have been made well. The mercy of God overshadowed the law of the harvest in your life. You got your life back. But don't go back to the old way. You go back to the old way and the law of the harvest still kicks in. We've got to remember that. The mercy of God sets us free. The mercy of God gives us another chance. The mercy of God... Gets us out of the pit and up on a rock. But if we choose to go back to the old way, the same law of the harvest that's got, that resulted in the first mess we were in, Jesus is saying it still operates. And even something worse can befall. So our, our, our delight as we read this story is, is, is many-fold that Jesus cared enough about a certain man that he went and spoke to that specific man the most precious thing that was in his heart and set him free. Though he wasn't requiring that the man jump through a bunch of church hoops. He just blessed him. If, if Jesus does that, with people. So you and I need to do that as the Lord's people. Instead of looking across the population and trying to figure out who deserves a blessing, who ought to be rewarded with some act of kindness, who ought to be given a shot because of all that they've been through. Take that back to Jesus and he'll say, listen, it rains on the just and on the unjust. What reward is it to you to just run around and blessing people who are going to bless you? He says, you be like your father who is in heaven, who is kind to evil and ungrateful people. As we step into that, the, the, the world, the world is open before us. We don't have to just hang around with Bible quoting, Bible toting, you know, Christian radio listening to people. Wherever there's brokenness, wherever there's the evidence even of a harvest that's come back in, that's a bitter harvest, as the Spirit of Jesus rises up inside us, He sends us into those places with the message of His love and the message of His mercy. And we look at the example that he set for us and how he did what he did with people who were still out there, who hadn't changed. And he became the agent of change in their lives as they, as they saw and heard and received what he came to give them. I just want to finish saying I, I don't know who, I don't know who, is supposed to be hearing this. That, that's not my job. That, that's not my lane. But I'm going to tell you, there is somebody, there's at least one somebody 
either in this room or wherever in the world this, this may go at some point in time. There is somebody who needs to hear and know that the Lord Jesus Christ, who was on the trail of this man 38 years in his affliction, is the same Jesus Christ who's on your trail. Not because he wants to punish you, not because he wants to tell you how bad you are, how wrong you've been, but because he wants you to know and experience his mercy and his love for your life. And there will be a radical transformation when the love of God, when the mercy of God is received and is allowed to do what it and only it can do. Fear is one motivation. But love, being changed by love, is the far greater motivation in a life. I love it that Jesus didn't have to have a crowd multitude there, but there was only one man evidently that he touched. Don't, don't, be, don't be fooled by the only time God's really working is when there are masses and masses of people and lots and lots of things visibly have. If, if the crowds were that important to Jesus, he would have, he would have gotten up on something high and called everybody's attention and, and he'd have spoken to him. He slipped out. He snuck out. He snuck out. Snuck in, in a sense, walked in, went for one man and snuck out. Isn't that amazing? He cares about you, where you are, what you've been through, what you're going through. And he has the ability, he has the power to give us our lives back. Do you want your life back? Then, then just do what I say. Stand up and walk. Trust me. Trust me. Lord, I want to thank you for the ones in this room today and I want to thank you for the ones that are a part of our extended family all over the place. Lord, will you take this word from your word straight into the hearts of ones who need it the most, who need to hear it. Lord, I pray you deliver us from sowing the seeds as your people, as followers of Jesus. Forgive us for, for sowing to our own flesh and Help us to get this. Let it be a clear warning that the law of the harvest is certain and we're going to reap decay, ruin, and destruction even in relationships that are close to us that we care very much about. Spare us from that. Deliver us from that, Lord. Change us. Settle that in our heart that we want to make sure we're sowing good seeds of generosity and kindness and mercy and the big picture instead of the tight reining in of ones close to us, Lord, that we may we may sow the right seeds to reap the harvest that we desire. And the Lord, I pray, if, oh, Lord Jesus, for the ones that, that are living out, living out a tough harvest, that, Lord, you'll allow each one of them, cause them to hear by the power of your Spirit the way out, how to get what we don't deserve. It's when the mercy of God intercepts the law of the harvest. Oh, Lord, may we cry out. Be in that place of crying out, Lord, would you have mercy upon me, a sinner, knowing that it is in your heart that we would walk in, that we would know we would be embraced in your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.